Welcome to Fuck Small Talk. Before we get into today's episode, we'd just like to chat with you about a few things. First, most of the content on this podcast is our opinion, and we don't really do extensive research before the episodes. Second, you may not agree with our opinion, but that's okay. Friendly reminder that you're choosing to listen to this. You can choose not to agree. We still love you anyways. Now, without further ado, let's fuck small talk. So today I've, I've had kind of an interesting day and um, coming up in the next couple months is a lot of stuff that's religious on the Hindu calendar. So my mom's been talking to me a little bit about planning oh. some of that. And I know uh, you and I, Danny, have had a lot of conversations about faith and what it's meant to us. And so I thought today might be an interesting day to have that kind of conversation about faith and what it's meant to us. Because fuck small talk. Because fuck small talk. Like I think faith has a lot of different impacts and interpretations on people and it's different from person to person. And it's, it's kind of a buy-in thing to me. That's just my opinion. Uh, I say that because within my household and within my upbringing, there's been, I've seen two very different uh, perspectives of faith, whereas my dad has always tried to be a very religious man in terms of like he will wake up in the morning and then, and then do like a little worship every single morning and then sit down and meditate every single morning and go through like these rituals and these kind of read from scripture every single morning for at least like an hour or two. And if you walk by him or like say hi, he's in the zone. Like he has no idea what's happening around him and he's just so locked in. And so that's him every morning. And then my mother is more like, look, I, she, she sees it less of a, less of an obligation to do this, those kinds of things where she's more like God is forgiving in that way where, or mm-hmm. get, gods in, in Hinduism and in, in, in India gods are forgiving in that way where you work that into your life rather than make that your life and so we do mm-hmm. celebrate high holidays like Diwali there's a god named Ganesh that some people might be familiar with and he has a whole day coming up um, and it's a huge celebration in India because Hinduism is a massive religion and so we in the past we've had a bunch of people over for a worship uh, service kind of uh, things called a puja at our place. My mom enjoys hosting that. So I've had, I've had, I've seen kind of both spectrums of it. I've had a difficult time in my life relating to to, to faith and relating to religion because I think maybe part of it is because I don't read or write the language, and so I think from a young, uh, since I was a young kid, because there wasn't really in Brantford those that community, we would drive to all the way to Mississauga or Toronto. Wow. Sometimes Markham, we'd be driving to wow. to go to these services on weekends, and I was just like, I'm a kid, I'm wasting an entire day doing this. And I, I was great for those people. Like I, it's funny because I meet some met some of those people that were in those religious circles in university now, and they their friend group is really about that community. But that's because not only were they seeing them in that community, they were seeing them during the week. They were seeing them in mm-hmm. the schools. They were seeing them around the city. Coming from Brantford, I would see I was that outcast kind of. I was that stranger that was just showing up on the mm-hmm. weekends once a month, twice a month, <laughs> and just kind of hanging on the outskirts while the kids are playing around. So I never really felt super engaged with the community, and I think that lack of engagement, that lack of feeling like I belonged to that community, might have driven me away. I also I see people in my life, and my father does this thing a lot where he will assign responsibility for the pitfalls in his life or the oh. gains in his life purely to a high being. Maybe hmm. be like, oh, this is happening because God or this God wanted it to be that way. What can I do? It was meant to be. I had nothing to do with this. It just happened. Whereas I'm, I've always kind of seen my mother be like, hey, you need to take responsibility because you fucked up. Hmm. Like, this is you. You fucked up. And then conversely, she's also very much so like when something good happens, and she's like, you did this. Take credit. Like, 
you did a great job here. You really pushed your limits, and you, you came up with something amazing. Those are two very different perspectives. Very, very different perspectives, yeah. And so I always, I, he's like, don't, he's not hella religious. Like, he does take responsibility for all this stuff. He's not like, he's not a pastor or anything. Like, he's not a, he's not a monk. But uh, I was going to say, are they called pastors in Hinduism? There's a word, and I'm just forgetting it. And so I've never really felt engaged with faith, whether it be from a physical distance from the community, a lack of engagement in the community, finding it not relatable, um, finding that people attribute their entire life to it, where I was always more of the take control, you're in control of your destiny kind of situation. I, I've never liked believing that I'm not in control of myself at any given moment. Because totally it makes really me feel bad. really weak. It makes me feel really scared when I like I have to believe that I can't do anything about my situation right now. Yeah. And so that's probably been a big barrier for me. I don't have too many complaints with um, my religion around the restrictions it puts on you. Like, I eat beef. I'm a bad Hindu. I get that. <laughs> but I mean, asking people to be vegetarian isn't the worst thing for a religion to do. You know what I mean? Like that's it's respecting animals is kind of what it gets at and uh, specifically relating to the cow about how the cow can provide life for a person who owns a cow in so many ways just showing that respect to not kill it and eat it because it can literally it brings you financial uh, financial stability through milk it brings you sustenance through milk it brings you transport by pulling a cart and so I get that I don't find that to be onerous but that's kind of my journey interesting I really like the part that you didn't feel like you belonged as a barrier and that you just didn't really like put yourself into the scripture and the literature that was there as like two ways where you just like you didn't fully immerse yourself into the religion. Yeah, I didn't take the steps. Yeah, I'll admit that. And for me, um, like I, my family went through all the steps. Like we went to Sunday mass every week at nine a.m. when I was a kid, and uh, and it was a very traditional Catholic church in a very traditional small conservative town north mm. of Toronto, and I just. Like, you walked in, and it was immediately formal, and as a kid, it was, like, all these adults. You had to, like, shake hands with the priest as you walked into the the service. There was just a lot of commotion, and then you sat down in these pews, and there was just stained glass windows everywhere, and it was so traditional. Everybody was in traditional robes, and we would do, like, these boring, boring songs. And I also went to a Catholic elementary school, so on top of Sunday Mass, we would, like, do religion throughout our curriculum, and we would do, like mass every once in a while in the gym and again like you just you resented it so much as a kid because you didn't know why you had to do it right like you're baptized and when you're a baby and you're immediately in the church it's not a choice i'm growing up in a place that i it's full of authority and structure i have no idea why i have to be there no one sat me down and was like this is why we're religious or this is why we believe in the catholic faith like it, it was not a conversation in my household it was just like we're catholic um and then as I got older, it became more of a resentment because um, I started to, my priest was really creepy and it was just like, I'd be like a teen and it was just like, he would just stand there at the podium and just like guilt trip everybody. And then when you got old enough to understand like some of the messages in mm. the sermons and, and, and speeches he would do, I'd be like, is everybody else just as uncomfortable as I am right now mm. sitting in this pew? Like what is going on and like what am I supposed to be getting out of this right like you're really missing the reason behind like you didn't feel like anybody took the time to explain to you why you're there yeah or what it could do for you or what it means yeah and I just like I was like why are we reading out of this old book the whole time like why aren't we putting like new messages related to like my life and my future and my my aspirations and <laughs> and where I want to go in life um and then 
second grade, you go through communion, which you, again, they do not tell you why you're going through it. You're just like, oh, now I get to eat the bread uh, as I go up every time in the Catholic mass. Yum. <laughs> Actually, you know what? As a kid, everybody tried to take multiple. Like, like you, right. you, get you have bread. to. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's not the worst thing. Did, they, Did you guys have real wine though? Did you guys have real wine? I never got the wine. Oh, I was yeah. always too young. I was always in a grape juice church. Oh. So it's just because uh, uh, the church, kind of church that I grew up in, well, like, yes, Jesus drank wine, but we wouldn't drink. It was like kind of oh. this weird thing where it's like, like, why would we tempt ourselves like that? Interesting. Which, which is fair. And I get it. Um, I know for myself, I do drink a little bit, uh, but I would not cross the line towards even getting in the ballpark of drunkenness at this point. Uh, as well, I wouldn't drink. One principle that we kind of have for our leaders at church is we don't want to drink in situations where we don't know the story of the people at the table. And Ooh. I've seen it enough times where I've seen a group of people who a few of them might be leaders or volunteers within the church having, you know, a beer with a group. And I know that one of those people is like a recovering alcoholic and nobody else there knows it. Oh, shit. And it's like that just breaks my heart. And so I think there's an element of when you take on responsibility, when you uh, take on a certain level of leadership, there is an aspect of being above reproach that's necessary and also setting the right example. So I'm com- I'm comfortable saying like yeah like I like my wife and I like to have a split a bottle of wine or have a beer together, mm-hmm. but uh, it's something that I'm careful about the context in which I do that because I never know the story and if people are looking up to you, they can often take your participation as their permission. Yes, yeah, and, for sure. Anyway, especially people but, who struggle with uh, yeah. addiction, like you just need one rally person and yeah. you're in. So sorry, I got you off track. There. No, that's okay. Uh, I was gonna say it might be a good idea to introduce you right now since yeah. you just mentioned your experience with church and then I like I'm happy to continue because like this will be a common theme of my relationship with Catholicism so sure would you like to introduce yourself yeah my name is Nate yeah uh, yeah so we were in high school at the same time uh we did not go to the same high school but yeah. we were in the same city oh, I definitely thought you guys knew each other from high school yeah no we, we were just in the same city and I think had some mutual friends who yeah. kind of met each other at parties football football oh whoa okay yeah, I'm stuff like so that much. so yeah. yeah i think just had some mutual friends really was the key thing we ran into each other yeah a lot of parties we went to a kendrick lamar concert together we did time. do oh, that nice. that happened that was a very good con- that was a good long concert. day but that was a good concert one day i actually didn't oh gosh uh air out all my dirty laundry but i actually didn't wait in line with you guys no you didn't because i was visiting a girl who had a condo in toronto so I was like, if interesting I day for a hot tub too. No. She did have a hot tub. She had yeah. A hot tub, yeah. It was an interesting day. Nate so. was chilling in a hot tub, and me and our other friend are waiting in the hot sun outside of Kendrick Lamar. For like eight hours. But we made it worth it because it was general admission, and I'm a tiny guy, and so general admission doesn't work for me, especially given yeah. moshing, unless I'm at the very front. So I was at the front initially, and slowly with the way the crowd was moving, I started like getting sucked backwards into it. And I remember being like, oh no, my friends, and all I see is his hand reach out and grab my shirt right down my chest and just pull me forward the crowd and i look and it's nate he just saw me falling like <laughs> oh my god that is so that's... romantic <laughs> i love that story i was so scared because <laughs> they were so watching visual. what 10 feet behind us five yeah, feet behind us was... and i was slowly getting sucked I towards the not about I that i do not understand moshing 
I don't get at it. all. I don't get it. Like toxic masculinity. Okay, that's exactly, okay. That's exactly what it is. There's no need for it. It's not even it's not don't at me. because music. then when you're like you're totally in that action and like exuding violence, you cannot really listen to the music. Yeah, like, exactly. And also, no. like Kendrick Lamar, I feel like is not a concert I would be like, oh, there's gonna be moshing. That's not. He I just remember that concert. Music. Yeah, he does. And I remember yeah. that concert because I remember because he at one point he turns to his DJ says, "Kill the mic." And then he Whoa. just he just crouches down and then just kind of looks out at the crowd. He's quiet for a minute and then spits a sick five minute freestyle that is not, insane. Hasn't shown up on any of his tracks or anything. He just he's never been anywhere. Just off dropped the top it. Of his head, no beat. He's just Shut going. Up. The crowd's bopping and some guy starts moshing to a freestyle with no beat. I was like, <laughs> white people. I was like, dog, what yeah. are you doing? But Back to the reason you're here with us today is because uh, you are a really interesting person uh, to us, and then mm-hmm. you have a very interesting journey yourself so do you want to share that with us today yeah i'd love to i want to hear like more of danny's story i feel like i cut her off a little bit though so what can you continue like i want to hear you go through the rest of your i was almost done um because i was going to finish with confirmation (laughs) which is like the last like real memory i have of church which is when you're uh 13 in grade eight and you have to be confirmed like officially into the religion one of the formal times you really are required to go confess your sins and then you also have to have a sponsor who's also catholic who mentors you throughout the process like you're mm. um there's like a time period where you meet with this mentor you have meetings with them and they're supposed to like coach you into your adulthood into the catholic faith and then when the ceremony actually happens they like go with you then you like uh say your sins to the priest in a little scary box where they close the door and it's dark and it's just a lot and uh and then you're confirmed and you don't really know what that means after it was my uncle was my sponsor who i actually looked up to like outside of religion completely Mm -hmm. but like going to confess my sins had no idea what i was going to say in there and it was the most intimidating but in a bad way experience and it was still with the creepy priest the Mm. the one that i was mentioning so like it was just not fun and everybody in the entire class was freaking out the two weeks before this whole ceremony Mm. so i was like how is this like really helping it's just reinforcing guilt and terror into like why i'm supposed to be here except i still don't know why i'm supposed to be Mm. here and then i've always had a very very intensely strong relationship with science and the idea of evolution and in the Catholic church that I was in, like that is not a supported mm. mentality. Like you cannot, they don't, they don't coexist at mm. the same time. That's not a thing. Like I remember a debate that happened in my high school, like anthropology, sociology, and psychology class like, mm-hmm. when they mashed those. And you went to a Catholic high school? No, I didn't. But there was, because it was the only high school in the city, we had one Catholic elementary school and four public schools and then one high school. And so if you wanted right. to go to a Catholic high school, you had to bus to the next town. Hmm. But um, a lot of the kids that went to my Catholic elementary school went to my public right. high school. And so in this class, some of the people who are more connected with the religion were very adamant about evolution is not a thing. And I vividly remember mm. two kids like screaming at each other in this high school public school class where she was like, evolution does not exist. And the 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 teacher is like trying to moderate but she's like ah but like i'm teaching evolution like this is the unit i have to teach like it was such an awkward intense energy that i was like 
ah, okay, I'm really uncomfortable. Like, this is the line I'm drawing. Like, I got a piece. Like, bye. And at that time, my mom and our family started going less. Like, it would just be for Christmas or Easter that mm. we would go to church. So then it definitely became more distant and more distant. So I was like, oh, am I, like, almost out? Like, do I <laughs> have I made it? <laughs> have I made it out of the crazy church I'm a part of? Am I off the hook? Yeah. yeah. And then there was, like, a few conversations where my mom would, like, throw in there every once in a while. She'd be like... But, like, you still pray, though, sometimes, right? Or, like, you mm. still believe in God, right? And I and I had no idea how to answer those questions because I didn't pray and I didn't believe in God. Mm-hmm. I would say I still don't. Um, and, and I absolutely respect anybody else who has a differing opinion than mine, but this is just mine. And so then once that didn't, that wasn't a message in my home with my mom. Like, she no longer asked about that. We no longer go to church. No one in my family goes to mm. church anymore. No one talks about it except Christmas. We pray before we eat. And um, maybe at like when we used to meet for Easter, we would do that. Mm. And that's it. That is the only presence of religion in my family. And now I'm like, okay, sit like this. Or now I actually, because I don't want to disrespect, I don't want to do something that I don't believe in. Mm. Make it disingenuous for anybody who is doing that out of a true um, yeah. way. And so then I actually just sit with my head down. Like mm. I just, I respect that this is a moment you need to take, but like I don't actually participate. Right. Yeah. It's not my place. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that for you, the things that kind of pushed you away was A, a lack of understanding or uh, the flip perspective of that is lack of somebody explaining to you yeah. the purpose behind what you're doing. Exactly. And I think there's fundamental differences in, in, in the beliefs yeah. that were that were attributed to the church. One thing I, uh, you didn't touch on there that my girlfriend, who also grew up Catholic, has touched on with me before is the role of women in the church. Mm. And that's been oh, yeah. very bothersome to her over, <laughs> oh, yeah. over a time. For any listeners, you should have seen the eye roll that just happened. <laughs> there was a hand flick, too, of like, yeah. oh, don't even get me started. So many emojis. So many emojis. I didn't. I don't even think I really recognize how sexist it was hmm. unless I'm thinking back because in the moment I was so young. Right. But there was no female participation yeah. in any leadership positions in my church. It's interesting. I remember, uh, just to touch on one of the stories you told, I remember in grade eight distinctly feeling almost attacked during the evolution unit because so much of the conditioning I had experienced growing up was that things like evolution is just a theory, which has no respect or regard for what the word theory means in science. Yeah. But the idea of saying like, well, evolution's like it. Yeah, maybe, but it's a theory and they have to make sure they present it as a theory, which is so interesting. Um, and I almost remember that like, your tribe attacking my tribe feeling during the mm. evolution unit in elementary school and feeling like, whoa, they're not in my tribe. What the heck? Right? Like this is yeah. this is out of the realm of what we how we see things. Which is interesting because now I would say that I, I fairly confidently believe in evolution. I think it seems pretty clear. We've seen it even within our lifetime on Earth. Uh, or like within recorded history on Earth. We've seen yeah. accounts of evolution. It seems obvious you know there's a few different theories of how people compare that with the bible uh you know there's theories around the idea that you know if god had the power to create the earth he had the power to create an earth with age rather than just creating it like like i don't know like why not like if you believe that an almighty powerful being created this earth out of nothing yeah like it's not a huge logical leap to believe that they would have created it with like years attached to it already or with an age that went over my head what do you what do you mean so it's saying that they coexist as a system if god is the the higher power you believe then he could build a system that supports a world that ages essentially evolving the world oh and even saying that like it could have started at a certain point having already been aged 
So like, you know, start it with 50 billion years of age to it if you were to dive into it, but actually it's right at this point. That's one theory. I actually don't even like really prescribe to that. That feels like a little bit like Mm. backdoor workaround to me. Uh, (laughs) I think what's a lot more likely is uh, just that, you know, a guided hand through evolution. Um, You know, I believe that God created the earth. I believe that he is the one who set it into motion. And he's the being who has guided it on a fundamental level throughout time. However, I don't think that that means that it was necessarily created in an instant or a literal seven days. I believe that it was created through evolution. If you look at the mechanism in which it was created, which Mm -hmm. to me does not take away from who that creator is. It's just the how, not the what? Which is kind of the, what you're saying is kind of the difference between a manager and a micromanager. Yeah. Like God wasn't like, like sitting <laughs> there bit, picking yeah. away at each evolution for yeah. every single species. He just created sure. it and let it roll. And as it happened, to an he extent, like, yeah. He was like he was like, okay, well, this is the shape it's taking, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of. Yeah, I think there's an element of that, and yeah. I believe that God, you know, has order and everything. I think that there is an element of, you know, the Bible talks about uh, God would know the number of hairs on your head. You know, and I think that if you believe, if you really believe in a God that is omnipresent and all powerful and able to create a universe, it seems like some of these little things that people get hung up on, it's like, like that's not that much of a stretch from like the core idea here. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if you believe A, then really yeah. believing B isn't too much further. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where so I fall now. I'm going to do something crazy and say, like, what is your evolution in religion from, like, oh. when you were a kid to, like, hey. where you are now? Yeah, so that definitely grew up, grew up in a very uh, churched context. Uh, so my parents helped start a church 30 years ago. Uh, very similar. They started in a school renting, which is really popular today yeah. as well. Uh, and they did this 30 years ago. Uh, my mom was the first employee of the church. She was the church secretary for a long time. Cool. Uh, my dad was the first treasurer of the board. Cool. Uh, kind of helping with the finances. So they were very involved from the beginning uh, with that church. Uh, it grew for a while. I grew up in that church. And, you know, all growing up, my parents were involved in different ways. My dad was maybe on the board. Uh, my mom, you know, would often be helping out in different areas of the church, serving every week, volunteering, things like that. And so I grew up not just like at church, but almost like as an insider at church. Uh, so I wasn't just attending ever. It was always, you know, we were part of making it run, which I think is a different experience. And uh, it's one that I think you see today. You see... Um, you know, with the rise of church online, which is really great and super powerful. Something a lot of churches are doing is they put their services online and people actually attend virtually. So they can log in and watch the whole service online. They can even chat with somebody about what they're going through, get prayer all through their computer uh, rather than attending physically. Super, super popular right now. But even with that, it's like, I don't know. I think there's some people who are in the church community who are Christians who will skip church at a moment's notice to take their kids to a soccer game, yet wonder why their kids stop going to church when they grow up. Mm. It's like, well, was it ever really a priority? Like, did you teach them that it was a priority or did you teach them that soccer was more important? And I think to speak to what you were talking about with your experience with church, if you look at any good business or corporation or movement of any kind, it doesn't succeed if people don't know the why behind it. It's hard to be a good employee if you don't understand why you're doing your job and how that contributes to a greater whole. And is that something you care about contributing towards? Mm -hmm. You know, it's really hard to be part of a movement and to give your time in activism or volunteering if you don't understand the purpose behind what you're doing. 
And I think that if you don't understand the purpose behind church, if faith isn't communicated in a way that's both relevant, but also focused on the deeper why behind the actions that are taking place, I think it's really only logical to walk away. I think that's interesting because I think you can draw a lot of parallels between organizational theory and church. I think in conversations between you and I, Nate, yeah. we've talked before about your experience of being involved with the starting of a church mm-hmm. and how that relates to the startup space. Yeah. And there's, a, there's kind of some overlap there. Oh, right, because oh, yeah. you're in both communities. Yeah, Nate also works at a, study, at a small uh, startup company that yeah. I guess is, is a more mature startup now. But or a scale-up, actually. A scale-up. But, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what the language is. Yeah. They were once a startup, and yeah. now they've grown their business successfully. Um, and so Nate and I have spoken at length about the, the parallels between starting yeah, a church totally. and working at a startup. Yeah, I think there's a lot there. Um, with the church that I'm involved with starting called Slate Church, it's only 11 months old, but I think you see some of the core elements, you know, even something as simple as financing and figuring out your brand yeah. and you know, figuring out how to, how are you going to drive people into the doors, right? Like, how are you going to find people who want to be a part of what you're doing? You're doing the same things. You're you're trying to get people in the door. And once they're in the door, you're Mm -hmm. trying to retain those people. Yeah. I think that's why it's so important when you're doing a lot of those things and you're running it well to be so also focused on the fundamentals. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, I think there are fundamentals of faith that are very, very important. And even one thing we talk about at our church a lot is we want to have a biblically literate church. We want to have a church Mm -hmm. of people who actually read their Bibles regularly and don't just have messages preached out of the Bible at them or don't just have, you know, verses that they toss on their Instagram feed because it makes a cool caption, but people who actually are diving in and understanding theology and are understanding, uh, you know, the context and nuance, right? Because so often people just pull words out of the bible with no understanding of what they actually mean exactly. the bible was not a book that floated down from the heavens written by god himself it's a bible that's inspired by god and written by humans it's a it's a book it's a it's not one book at all it's a collection of books uh that are have, were written over you know, i think something like 1500 years by a variety of different authors with different nationalities in different contexts with different priorities and situations and understandings of the world i think one of my favorite examples of this is there's christians who believe in the flat earth theory because the bible I'm sorry i didn't mean to oh laugh. no please laugh okay. um, <laughs> i did because I yeah because the bible talks about like to the ends of the earth it's like well yeah because at that time in context everybody thought the earth was flat so when they're writing and like using you know yeah language to describe the vastness of god's love like they'll say to the ends of the earth because that's their understanding yeah they don't and, talk about airplanes in the bible yeah but like they exist <laughs> like they're real they're there we have them you've you know? flown on one Exactly. So I think that, um, yeah, it's important that even as we embrace elements of the business world, you know, elements of how to do things efficiently and effectively, how to reach people and make an impact that as a church and as leaders within a church, we're keeping ourselves rooted in the fundamentals of what we believe. We're keeping ourselves rooted in understanding the Bible, understanding the why behind what we do, the heart of what we do, and really driving towards that end goal. Because if we lose sight of that, it's just a show. You guys have been to the church. There's a lot of really cool lights. There's some really great music. There's some electric guitars. We have like DJs. Like it, it can be really cool, but I don't know. People would just go to a concert if there wasn't something more to it. Yeah. And at the end of the day, 
you know, there has to be something more. There has to be a deeper meaning and a deeper purpose or it's all totally worthless. And, and these themes that you're talking about that are really important to the church you're a mm-hmm. part of, were, were they a part of the church that your parents were volunteering at and some of the other churches that you participated in before Slate? Yeah, I think to a certain extent, yes. To a certain extent, no. I believe that especially when my parents were first a part of the starting of that church, the leadership that was in place there from everything I've heard uh, was really passionate about a lot of this stuff. They were a very Bible-believing church. They were an energetic church. They were a church that was significant culturally and having an impact. I would say for a lot of my time growing up, uh, it was more characterized by elements of tradition and politics. Now, I think tradition can be a very, very healthy thing. I don't think tradition is bad. I think people sometimes throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to tradition. Imagine we took that phrase literally. Yeah. Sorry, I just was... (laughs) Flat Earth, toss a baby. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it makes no sense. Anyway, sorry to cut you. Uh, the only reason I know that phrase is because Jay Z said it. By the way. Yeah. Yeah. I had to get someone to explain it to me. I was like, "What? What is he he's talking about killing a baby?" <laughs> like I knew Jay Z was hard, but like, come on, <laughs> oh, man. man. Damn, it's a baby. <laughs> Chill. Yeah. So it it was it definitely had elements of that. I think there was individuals that were really passionate about it. I would say the overall culture. I don't think was consistently at that level throughout my time growing up. Okay. So then you would say that that's something you really value from this current church. Yeah. Yeah. So growing up, I was involved. I had a really great example of my parents being involved, which I really loved and appreciated Uh, as well. My brother is a pastor, so he is a full-time employee in church context. Mm. Uh, When I was growing up, he was doing music. He was a music pastor out in BC. Uh, he actually made a few albums with that church and toured around like Canada and the Whoa. States and Europe and stuff, playing those church songs, I guess. And that was fun. And so he did that. And I thought that was really cool and exciting, but I didn't have anything like that where I was. And then, you know, and then he, yeah, he kind of went on and he started his own church since, uh, but that was a little bit later. For me, I, I was still very involved in church. However, it's almost less about the big themes that messed me up with it mm-hmm. and it was more about the the actual community i was a part of right so this is getting back to your journey yes a little bit again so Thanks. this would be high school times so back when a a shay knew me and during these times the specific community i was a part of especially when we're talking about the teenagers was at such a level of dysfunction that the most logical thing was to look elsewhere for community. And there was such a level of brokenness within that really small group of teenagers and the leaders who were trying to lead those teenagers, such a high level of dysfunction that it was something that turned me away a little bit. To clarify, you're talking about the teenagers and the leaders within the church. Within the church. Okay. There was a certain level of dysfunction and I think brokenness there. That sort of pushed me away. There's a disconnect between the leadership yeah. and the youth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And pushed me, you know, into, you know, I was on the football team, 
kind of got a little bit more involved with some guys there. Yeah. Started hanging out in that scene a little bit more. I think you and I in high school were fringe cool kids. Like, we, weren't, we, were... we weren't cool. <laughs> like, we, we weren't cool. <laughs> this is too accurate. This is fact, and you know it. We, we weren't cool. Like, we weren't people that are like, oh, that guy's sick. Or like, let's hang, let's text that guy. But we had friends that were, and we hung out with the people that were considered oh, cool. Yeah. And we did cool guy things. Like, we both played football. We both were athletes. You know what I mean? We went to parties. We went to parties. But, like, you know, we, weren't the, we weren't on the top 25, 40 people invited to those parties. Yeah. We came as friends of the people that were invited. Yeah. That's so accurate. <laughs> <laughs> we were fringe cool kids. We were like, we got there. Yeah, we, we showed uh, up. Yeah. I was probably... Uh, we, were, we were the... Hey, is it cool if my friend comes? Yeah. We were the friend. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> we were that friend. I would say, like, I was, like, somewhere right in between a, uh, like, a jock and a stoner for a lot of high school. I was going to ask, like, what you'd label yourself in terms of cliche. I'm curious to say, like, what you would label yourself. Uh, the stereotypical, like, rom-com style. I was between a jock and a nerd, which Me is too. a very interesting dichotomy, right? Same. It's a weird space. And then I also found, because a lot of my friend group actually went to your school, Nate, your yeah. high school. And um, so I, at, at my high school, I didn't have a group I fit in with. So at lunches, mm, like, one lunch, I'd just hang with a certain group of people. Same and here, the next yeah. lunch, I'd just be hanging with somebody else. And then yeah. I'd walk around. And I never felt like I really fit in my own school. And I didn't know where my role was and my place mm. was. I knew I wasn't cool, but I didn't know where I was among the rest of it. Yeah, totally. So. I was the exact same. And look at us now. Just Making killing it. it. Yeah. Oh, neat. <laughs> so, so, yeah. So kind of got through high school. Uh, made it on the other side. Went into university. I think my first, my first week, my O week, I think I had a Texas Mickey and a twenty four pack of Tall Boys. Jesus fuck. Yeah, yep, it was yep, a yep. sloppy week. I mean, I nice, mean, nice, nice. crikey. Yeah, I didn't want to say. I didn't want to use the Lord's name. Oh yeah, sorry. Sound don't bad. do that. Yeah, it's bad. Heck. Okay. Yeah. No, Sorry. honestly, I think it's dumb when people in the church try to hold people outside of the church to the standards that we set for ourselves. Thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. It's like, I, yeah. like you don't believe in Jesus, so why does you saying his name mean anything? Well, it's, it's interesting, the evolution <laughs> of my mom. Like, I grew up, when I was a kid, like, I couldn't even say, like, oh my gosh was still, like, frowned mm. upon. Like, it was like, just don't say that. Gosh and, was? Yeah, and, like, just don't swear. Like, you're still, you're insinuating. Mm-hmm. Like, right. you're, all, you're, like, too close to it. Like, why would you even say it? Yeah. So it's like, you should all just say, good golly, Miss Molly, and sure. then be done with it. Yeah, like, yeah. why not, right? Yeah. Um, but then as I got older, like that rule sort of relaxed and like, oh my God was okay. And then no swearing was allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, then I like carried that theme into my adulthood. And so like, I, I curse all the time. Literally like, yeah. you know, this, we both, like, yeah, we it's like yeah. every five seconds and, and I have no problem with it. And I don't feel like I'm forcing it or uncomfortable by it. It's just a part of my language. Mm-hmm. So then I, I, I'm good at switching. So if I go home not a swear word like i'll start saying oh gosh oh darn it like it's just like i've heard you say that like i switch yeah. completely and then um i apparently i didn't even notice i did this shoot in- i heard you say oh shoot one time i was like well <laughs> something feels a little bit like a little bit wrong like your letter's wrong yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so then when i'm at home um if i ever had friends over that like would say like oh what the hell or shit or whatever yeah. Apparently, I would visibly cringe if my mom was in the room, that my oh, friends whoa. said that. And my mom called me on it. She was like, you know your friends can swear and you can swear, right? Like, you huh. know that's okay. Like, I swear. And I was like, wait, 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 wait hold on. What? <laughs> and so now I've, like, started insinuating or, like, dropping, like, here and there. I'll put, like, oh, 
what the hell? Like, it'll be like, or I'll say, like, excuse my language. <laughs> you test yeah. in the water. You dip yeah. your toe in the pool. But then I made her listen to this podcast. Like, the first episode, I literally say fuck, like, I think 20 times. Yeah, I probably And did. so I, like, made her listen to it to be like, I want your feedback. And I was like, as it's starting to play, I go, oh, wait, sorry, I swear a ton in this. <laughs> and she's like, that's okay, I don't care. So it's just, it's been an interesting evolution of swearing. As a very big tangent, can someone please explain to me what the fuck Oh My Lanta means? What is Lanta? Is it Atlanta? I thought it was oh, no. from Atlanta, but I don't know. What is Lanta? I say it all but the why time. why would I say Oh My Atlanta? I can't help oh, you. Oh My Lanta. Let's Google it. I got that thing. Google Oh My Lanta. Sorry for this tangent, but... This is wild, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've never I'm very curious. Oh My Lanta. Where did Origin, that came that come up. Oh, I've heard someone who considers himself to be a gangster say, oh, my Lanta. I looked at this <laughs> phrase, and apparently my Lanta is stomach medication, and is it's a replacement for, oh, my God, so you won't take the Lord's name in vain. However, this definition doesn't really fit. Oh, well, that was not helpful. I'm going to have okay. Urban Dictionary. Urban Dictionary coming It's here. a phrase coined by DJ Tanner on Full House. Shut up. She's in San Francisco. That is amazing, and I'm so much happier. Oh, about my that. Lanta, Steph, look what Michelle just did. Oh my god, so somebody who whoever wrote Full House. And wow. they corroborate that origin. My Lanta is an antacid used to alleviate symptoms including heartburn. Hot Thus, diggity. My tends to lead into Lanta rather smooth. That's amazing. I respect that so much because I think we've talked about this recently that I make up my own expressions all huh. the time. And so like I respect that this is completely made up. Oh, apparently Jesse says it a lot on Full House too. Cool. Fun fact of the day. So, Anyways, so in first year, back. you had a giant Texas Mickey and a 24 pack. <laughs> <laughs> that's hey, we're that's all right. All right, let's this, go. This has been smooth transitions. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I, I went a little wild. Um, you know, ended up in some interesting situations, got into a few different interesting relationships, mm. ended up getting into some messier situations, and it was kind of ended up in a place where things were not great. For me, um, and I realized that probably the way that I was operating and living my life was not the way I want it to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, I think a lot of my biases that I had held, I think the sexism and homophobia and just general uh, negative bias that I had had in my life, and that I do think was informed by the culture, specifically the church culture I grew up in, was being smashed to pieces by the people I was meeting and the experiencing experiences wow. I was having in university. So you wouldn't you wouldn't say you regret any of the experiences that you went through. Mm. Let's go with as a whole. Would you change your life as a whole? I would put okay. So I put my university experiences in two categories. I would say that there was like, hmm, one sec, can you guys, I don't want to cuss, can you guys say a swear word for me? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Say it. It's the, the F we'll, word. We'll yell it. The F word, then boy. Can you guys Fuck do that? Fuck boy. Oh, Fuck boy. Yeah. I love those. So there was, so like, <laughs> I was like. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Chill. <laughs> um, Anyways, all right. So, Continue. Instagram at Danny so, <laughs> Get in those DMs, boys. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm sorry. I'm not mad. Uh, so, okay, wait. We're going to practice this. So, okay. Fuck boy. Okay. So, in my Fuck boy. Nate days, wow. I... Uh, see what I did well there? Yeah. yeah. So, in my Fuck boy. Nate days, I was in university, and that was like one half of it. Okay. There was me just like partying and smoking and 
messing around with people in ways that were disrespectful to all parties uh <laughs> including yourself including right, myself right, right. there's not a lot a lot a lot of self-love if you look at my choices that i made and there was that side of it which i, I think a lot of those lessons i could have learned easier <laughs> so i'm thankful for the lessons but if i had to do it again i wouldn't so you took the roughest road you could to yeah get to a product that in that you way wanted to get to but whereas on the intellectual side there's mm. like no regrets at all uh, the being a part of the debate society at Laurier, uh, getting myself around people who were different than me, uh, being in a more diverse environment. Shay, you know Brantford. Yeah, <laughs> diverse yeah. is not Hashtag, its like, diversity. Yeah, diversity is huge, and so met a lot of different people. Uh, got to understand the world through some of their lenses and hear their stories and to build empathy and understanding for people with different perspectives than mine. Awesome. And uh, I'm also a very political person. Uh, so I did political science and economics in school. I remember oh, as young as when uh, Chrétien was still around, like watching the news and being super pumped about politics when I was like five. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. So I've been like a political nerd you're since like a, you're like day one. You're like an old ass five-year-old. Yeah. Going to church, watching Chrétien. Yeah. I love, loved politics my whole life. So even like sort of where my political views were, were kind of like solidified and changed a little bit. And so on the intellectual side and understanding sort of come of my viewpoints and understandings of the world and some of the basis in which I operate out of, uh, I have absolutely no regrets for that because I think I had some underlying opinions that were based on tribalism but not actually thinking th anything through. And it was almost as soon as I started to think, think some things through and move out of my tribal mindset, I began to understand the world in a clearer, better way. I was going to ask, like, do you take responsibility to... If you see people who are maybe Nate five years ago or Nate 10 years ago, right. do you see a sense of responsibility to bring those people along to a journey that you've gone on? Yes. So yeah, so how that happened for me partly was there was an intellectual component, but I definitely still felt that something was missing and I was struggling. And I remember, you know, nights where I would have panic attacks and like not sleep and just be like you know, going in and out of panic attacks and rotating between like having a panic attack in my apartment and walking around the block, like chain smoking and Jeez. like listening to emo music by emo music. I mean, I don't know if you guys know Isaiah Rashad. He's on TDE with Kendrick. I know. Isaiah Anyways, Rashad, yeah. his like first like real album. Oh, just was, like, it was dark. It was a dark album. It was a just dark like, album. Bumping that chain smoking cigarettes at 2am is just not a good look. And, <laughs> uh, and you know, and then on top of that, you know, having these people I was hurting and uh, breaking relationships with and these different things and like having my phone blowing up at different times and struggling back and forth with people. And it was just a lot. And I realized I probably wasn't in the best place. Uh, and I started to go back to church a little bit. So I found a church. It was a student church that was very open to questions, very open to big ideas and very challenging of the status quo. So very different than, than Danny's church. Experience. Yeah, it was... Uh, a church where they didn't do any traditional church songs. They would just play everyday music and everyday popular songs. Actually, not even popular, like like real indie deep cuts uh, that mm. like would relate to what the speaker was talking about. And people Ooh. would just like sit and listen. And the speaker would talk and it would usually be very academic and interesting. He joked a lot that his dad thinks he's a heretic because his dad actually thinks <laughs> he's a heretic. Uh, <laughs> and it was like... It was a different kind of thing. And then we would have conversations where we would talk about how that message had impacted us, but also pick it apart and challenge it a little bit afterwards. Oh, so challenging was okay. Challenging was okay. And all of that to say, it was what I needed at the time. I actually don't think it was a healthy church per se. 
Uh, I really appreciated the vision that was there and what they were trying to do. And I think that challenging in the right context is really important and having open communication is really important, but I actually don't think they were building a healthy church. And that's just my thought. And I think now that I've seen what a healthy church is, I realize that you can have space for questions and conversation, but you can do it with a little bit clearer vision and direction. And at the end of the day, not a lot of people want to just be challenged. Yeah. And I think especially when you're a leader, there's a burden of the people that follow you. And I think sometimes leaders can get caught up in their own heads and their own academic pursuits and mindsets. And they can end up actually leading others astray by not having a clear direction. Now, that doesn't mean that the direction can't be tweaked or changed. It doesn't mean you can't be open to criticism and conversation and have place for disagreement within a large body. But if all you're doing is challenging and you're built off of challenging, but you're not actually built off of what you're running towards, I don't think that's healthy. Yeah, totally. And I don't know if that's what that church was at the time and if it was that extreme, but it's definitely not what I'm a part of now. And I think that's, so the point you made is in the context of the challenges around some of the beliefs related to church. The concept of challenge that direction is a lot of the issue with, um, I find, the the social activism today is that mm. everyone's willing to, to, like a lot of people are willing to, speak up about issues and speak up about challenges and speak up about, hey, like, I don't agree with this. Sure. But then not enough people are talking about, okay, what's the next step? Okay, where are we going with that? What's the solution? Where is the end goal? This is a great challenge, but where do we want to get to eventually and how does this challenge yeah. get us there? And one thing that, like, for me personally, that's really important is I've volunteered in every election I've voted in. And I've never voted in, in an election where I really fully loved the party that I was voting for. But I just feel like you have to be active. Like you have to do something. For sure. And even when it comes to activism, you know, get off Twitter and go hold a sign outside. It's actually so much more impactful and has so much more potential for change if you're willing to put yourself out there and protest. Yeah. You know, take a, take a day off work. Take a holiday day and stand up for something you believe in. Mm-hmm. You know, go to that march. Do something. Be a part of it. Get involved with the community. Go to your town council meetings, right? Like if you're really that passionate about it, actually do something don't just tweet about it for sure yeah and i found like when when we visited slate church and i yeah. really we didn't i don't know if we said this on the day up but i really appreciate you inviting us and sure. guiding yeah, us through so that, that yeah. community and that experience but that is something i definitely noticed a theme in the in the church and the service and the community was passion for what they believe in yeah and that was something that was non-existent in my church and so i think that mm. comes back to that disconnect and and maybe I don't mean to speak for you, Ashay, but like maybe also if if you didn't see that passion around your community, like it's so infectious to be able to see that passion and be like, oh, okay, if I believe in this and other people believe in this and we're all making a difference and we're all participating, Mm -hmm. like we can move mountains. Yeah. And it's not just the what, it's the why too, right? There's the what of the passion and there's also the why of the passion that we like to talk about a lot. That's the underlying reasoning behind what we're doing, which I think is really important as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, so to speak to my story for a sec. So got involved with this student church. That was a cool opportunity. Uh, it was a little bit different as we talked about, uh, and, but it was what I needed. And having that open space was really important for me. And I was able to learn a lot and kind of get back into faith and feel like I could be a part of it, even though I didn't agree with my parents on everything anymore. And there was like, even just the idea of believing in evolution was like a big deal in some ways. And now I think my parents are actually probably like even 
I would say probably, you know, somewhere more in the middle at this point, mm. but if I had to guess. And so that was important for me. But what really made a huge impact was uh, we had new lead pastors come into that organization, Brandon and Emma Richardson, who really started to lead it with a lot more vision and clear direction, like what we talked about. Noteworthy that you said Emma Richardson as in a female lead pastor. Yes. Um, so we have at our church now, we have four lead pastors, Brandon, Emma, Luke, and Victoria, two men, two women. Uh, they're two married couples, but they share the leadership equally among the four of them. So... Uh, Brandon and Emma are married, and Luke and Victoria are married. Luke and Emma are also brother and sister. Uh, oh, which is yeah. cool. Oh, yeah. cool. So kind of neat. So they're family as well. Cool. And uh, Luke, Brandon, and Emma all share speaking duties on the platform, on the stage. Victoria also uh, does some speaking from the stage and from the platform and is uh, very involved uh, with leading the church as well. So we also have, uh, you know, weekly leadership meetings that are done over YouTube live videos for all of the positional leaders in our church, and all four of them take responsibility for that teaching and content. Uh, we have team nights where we get everybody who serves in the church together for, you know, a big rally night uh, and vision night kind of thing. Uh, and so that's where we like we do some of the weirder spiritual stuff. So you talked a bit about communion, which for people who may not know is when you eat some bread and you drink some juice or some wine, and it's just a way of representing uh, the bread as Jesus's body, the wine as his blood. Yeah, I found that out recently. Oh, you didn't know that? I didn't know that until oh, recently yeah. that the, the bread is Jesus. You're eating Jesus's body and then you're drinking it's Jesus's a weird blood. Message okay. for a child. So just to clarify, if you're Catholic, you believe that you're literally eating his body weird and message. literally drinking his blood that it turns into that in you in my in my denomination we're not there okay. we're not on that level uh that's good hey yeah. you know what it's a weird message <laughs> through god all things are possible but that's not my interpretation of what's written about it in the bible so we just believe that we are eating bread and drinking some grape juice but we're doing in it in the name of jesus in the name of jesus in remembrance of his sacrifice of him dying of his blood that was shed and the hurt that his body undertook so something like that is harder to explain quickly and for a lot of people, so we do that at our team nights every month, uh, rather than doing it at our larger services, because we want that to be a little bit more accessible place. And so when we have our team nights for our volunteers and people who are more engaged, we do some of that uh, stuff that's a little bit harder to explain easily and quickly, uh, and do it a little bit more uh, for those who maybe already have an understanding or in a context where we can take some more time on it. Anyways, four lead pastors, they're great, men and women. It's really important to us. So they came in, Brandon and Emma started leading this student church that I was involved in, uh, and it was really great. And I sort of started to move away from some of the partying lifestyle and chasing after some of those things, uh, but it wasn't easy. So I was uh, diagnosed with a mental illness during this time and kind of went through a really rough season uh, where I would be you know, unable to function at times. I had one semester in school where I went to two classes I don't mean like two of my five classes. I mean, I showed up to a physical class twice the whole term. And so that was a little rough on the grade books and all of that. And it was just not a great time. Uh, Pastor, I said I want to get more involved at church. And Pastor Brandon said, all right, let's meet up for coffee. And I slept through our meetings twice out of three times that we, or we showed up three times. I slept through it three times. We got together on the fourth time. Two of those three times were after 5 p.m. So I feel like that just says where my life was yeah. Yeah. Uh, at that time. And so, yeah, so I was still kind of going through that and struggling. And it was really through the church at that time. It gave me something to look forward to. And so when I finally met up with Pastor Brandon, he said, hey, man, you can take on more responsibility at church. Just show up for three months in a row 
and you can do whatever you want. But if you would just showed up consistently for three months, that'd be huge. Yeah. And then I did. Um, and then I got connected with a guy named Peter in our church who, uh, he works at Toyota and he is awesome. He is super organized. He's an engineer by trade. He is insanely logical. And he just sat me down and said, Hey, if you don't want to fail out of all your courses this semester, here's your study plan for the next you know, month. You're going to study from this time till this time every day. You're going to take this many breaks. You're going to make sure that you only take breaks at these times and you're going to go and whatever happens happens, but you need to put the work in. And I said, okay. So I did my best and I ended up uh, passing four out of five classes. That's amazing. Yeah. Only one that I failed was uh, 50% of the grade was based off of in-class quizzes. And I'd only done one of those. (laughs) So uh, it ended up, I I wasn't able to quite get the mark on the uh, final exam high enough to pass the the class. But it's all right. And so that was, yes, that was really good. So it kind of like on a very practical level, being involved in that gave me something to live for in a lot of ways. Gave me something to strive for and kind of gave me a structure and purpose that I needed that allowed me to get organized and tighten everything else in my life up. Um, And really it gave me an opportunity where I was told that I could be a leader, that I had potential, that I was somebody who could make an impact and make a difference. And that really was something that inspired me. And when I started to believe those messages about myself, uh, I was then encouraged to take the action needed in order to get there. And I did, and I was able to grow a lot through that. And then uh, eventually, as I mentioned earlier, we did end up shutting down that student church because it wasn't probably like the healthiest as a church and launching a new church and I was a big part of doing that as well so that's kind of my story in religion I guess in a I was gonna say a nutshell those we were were talking for a while Um, I love that you have so much evidence that like continues to validate your story like Mm. your experience and the reason you keep like pushing forward and like sure finding that that community yeah that's awesome um, I am gonna wet my pants if I don't go pee right now. So Do it uh, up. take a break. My bladder is just too small for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. That's like it's quite an intense community power lift compared to Oh, power they're lifters. wild. I know. I have some friends I on you Instagram. You were wild for a time too. Yeah. You were really into it. I was very into it. Did a few competitions and fun stuff. But did you place in one of them? Yeah. Yeah. I did. Yeah. Did That's well, awesome. So it was cool. It was fun. I remember seeing that. I was like, oh, damn, Nate. Yeah, I did a, uh, my best was a 1,200 day. So it's three lifts. It's squat, dead, and bench. So like my best three added together would be 1,200 pounds. So it was a 300-pound bench, 400-pound squat, and a 500-pound deadlift that day. Oh, my Lord. Hot damn. I was also oh, 240 pounds. Holy shit. I was a big boy. Shit. Was that your peak? Uh, 250 was the peak. Two, do, 250 was the biggest. Do you mind it? Like, do you have pictures of us? Like, yeah, totally. Can because I'm ask, so... It was the guy who ate Nate. <laughs> <laughs> Can I also ask, like, what you're at now? Uh, yeah, so I actually just weighed myself the other day, and I'm at, I think, 172. Wow. So, yeah, I've, uh... I actually lost 10 pounds in the last month, um, which is kind of crazy. On purpose? Or... Yeah, like, somewhat. I've been... I've definitely always been a huskier dude. As Shay, you'll probably remember from high school, I was a pretty big boy. Um, so I've kind of been huskier like my whole life. So I've always been kind of bigger and that was like my experience. Mm. So it was really not until quite recently that I've started to cool. not be bigger. It's like... Because I would say you're quite slim. Yeah. So even like back in the day, Whoa. Uh, hitting a bench press, 
which Very was fun funny. times. Note the seven likes. <laughs> Whoa, you don't even look like the same person. A little bit larger. Is that first year? This was second year. Whoa. Yeah. That's quite a transformation. A little bit different. Is that when you met your wife? Ah, uh, yeah, roughly. She saw some potential. <laughs> we always joke. So this is right Did around when I met my wife, and this is me wearing camo pants oh and a bucket my hat because I forgot Just what my skin color was for thug. a few minutes. Yeah. And we we always we do always joke that Emily saw a lot of potential. She was able to see the diamond in quite a bit of rough. She she, she invested. <laughs> yeah, quite she invested. But how do you feel when you look at those photos? Yeah, I don't know. I think I like that guy. And I like this guy. They're all good guys. That's okay. I don't really part think of the continuum they, of Nate. Yeah, I don't think being at a different weight is really that defining. I think it was really defining for me for a long time, which is a problem. And I don't think that I was able to actually overcome getting to a weight that I wanted to be at until I was able to make sure that actually wasn't what was defining me. And it's just been a general part. So going back into church stuff for a sec, you know, we have expectations for our leaders. Mm -hmm. So for example, I lead our family's ministry. So that's any programming targeted at kids and youth or for them. I'm involved in all of that. What we think would be best for everybody is if everybody was able to embody that final level of leadership, you know, especially for like the personal stuff, you know, personal growth and goals and Mm -hmm. things like that. Like, how are you leading? Because we break it down a little bit like leading yourself, leading others, leading vision or something like that, I think, or leading, leading results. Yeah, I think it's leading yourself, leading others, leading results. Um, And then within that, there's like different uh, areas and then different uh, levels. Um, and so we would, I think, especially for the leading yourself, we'd love it if everybody was there, but the expectation of this is what's expected from you is different at different levels, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so for us at my level, what's interesting is even like the personal fitness aspects to it. Mm-hmm. So something we think is important is you're not disciplined if you're not disciplined in everything you do. And I think some people might be have discipline in one area, but they're not living a disciplined lifestyle. If you are someone who goes to the gym three hours a day and are an absolute mountain, but you're really bad with all of your relationships and don't care about the people in your life, then what does that discipline really matter? Are you really leading well? You know, Are, are you somebody that people actually should be looking up to or are you just a person who likes to hit the gym a lot? I don't know. And I think I would say that you probably aren't, aren't actually a great role model at that point. Um, but yeah, anyway, so with that, like a big part of it is fitness. Part of it is making sure like we act, well, I'm actually supposed to have fitness goals that I'm working towards, you know, to be living a healthy lifestyle in terms of diet, to be living a healthy lifestyle in terms of mental health. Uh, so be taking, you know, having time for myself, being aware. A big thing that is in the Bible is an idea of Sabbath. So in the Bible, there's a biblical idea of Sabbath, which is a day of rest. Yeah. You know, we want to make sure that we're chasing after the right things and looking at the real heart behind some of this stuff. And so, yeah, we aren't going to be legalistic about it, but the idea of taking regular rest and significant regular rest is actually really valuable. So even in our church, for our ministry leads, we're actually required to take a day of rest by our leaders. Mm. And they actually say, like, if if it's not going to be one full day, if you can't make that work with your schedule, it, it should be about 16 hours of awake time where you're not doing church or work stuff. I haven't had 16 hours straight of nothing ever yeah. in my life, I want to say. No, for me, I would say that, that, that being said, like, that's not just nothing i think no i know but like outside of like yeah real like real responsibilities right it's like just time and being intentional with that time 
Now, I also love something our pastor said recently was uh, Sabbath is, is for people who work hard. Uh, and there's some people who will spend, you know, every night watching an hour of Netflix or two hours of Netflix and they'll go in and say, well, Saturday is my Sabbath. I can't help with that. Sorry. And it's like, I feel like you already kind of hit those numbers throughout the week, friend. <laughs> like you've been taking a lot of rest time. Um, and, and I definitely am a big proponent of working hard. I think that's really important and really valuable for people to do. Uh, but I think also taking rest is really important too and having regular rest as part of not just physical health but mental health, making sure that you're resting consistently. And it's actually almost like I think people rely on vacation too much. Like people are like, yeah. oh, I just need to get to my vacation. Yeah, I, need I need to get to my trip. I need a vacation. And I'd rather live a life where I am excited every mm -hmm. week, where I'm happy every week, where I'm energized every week and encouraged every week totally. in what I'm doing and where I can live and not feel like I'm going to crash and burn if I don't get to Fiji at a certain time. <laughs> but I can actually feel happy with where I'm at and what I'm doing in my days. So I think that's a big part of it. And I think embracing that sort of idea of overall wellness, of overall growth. We have expectations, you know, for myself of, you know, we're consuming leadership content daily across multiple platforms. Uh, you know, we are reading our Bibles and praying every single day, uh, diving deeper into scripture and theology and understanding our faith. Um, you know, I also practice fasting regularly. Mm -hmm. So uh, taking time of not eating in order to better focus on faith and things like that uh, is a part of my regular routine as well. Um, and I just think all of these disciplines are really important and it's important to appreciate and approach wellness in a holistic way, but in a way that also doesn't idolize wellness. Because when you idolize wellness, you don't stretch your capacity and you never actually do anything with your life. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of my take on that. And I think with the weight loss that we've mentioned briefly, kind of how we got started on this, a lot of that actually comes from that just general uh, learning and understanding of wellness and discipline and just seeking to be a more disciplined and healthy person generally has somewhat naturally led to some weight loss because I've just been making better choices. I do want to ask you one more question, but I think it might be our last question of the podcast. Just keeping an eye on the time, if you're okay with that, all around. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I feel like we got off on like a huge tangent. That's okay. Though. I'm that's sorry. Right. No, don't apologize. That's what, <laughs> that that's what is these the, conversations are. Yeah. The basis of our podcast is we don't want to shut down conversation sure. or stories because that tangents. is the basis of learning, in my opinion. I'm a, yeah. I'm a walking, breathing tangent. That is a fact. Fair. We both go on crazy tangents. Anyways, um, my question, because this was something, a theme in my upbringing with religion, but something you've sort of touched on in terms of the flexibility of where you've gotten to with your mm -hmm. faith. I'm just curious, the conversation with with these levels and these values and these structures that you're encouraged to live by, what happens or what's the conversation if you were to have a bad day or you fall off the bandwagon for a little bit? I'm just curious about that. So a big, a huge part of it is just seeing people as people, right? Mm -hmm. And we're flawed and we're broken and we make mistakes and nobody can live up to any ideal like that, yeah. right? And it's... It's more about the direction you're headed in. And so we all, we often say we're not looking for perfect people. We're looking for people who are getting closer to Jesus. Like mm. that's our kind of way of seeing it. And we see Jesus as that ideal in a lot of ways, as, you know, uh, an embodiment of perfection, the best that a human could be. And so we say we're just looking for people who are getting closer to that. And if you're getting closer to that, 
that's what matters. Um, and then we also want to see what's best for people. So when we talk about structures and leadership and all of that stuff, it, it's really about is that what's best for the individual? And sometimes people get to a place where they're struggling with some things and trying to like if you're struggling with something deep personally and trying to be a leader and lead others in their faith as well, like that's probably not healthy for you. Mm -hmm. That's probably not the best for you. And so we would be more than happy to have that conversation because we, we believe a lot in healthy conflict and just really like straight up say like, hey, I don't think this is best for you right now to be in this position of authority because you need to be able to work on yourself and you need to be cared for right now. And those conversations happen all the time because it's about caring for that person and we there's no condemnation in mistakes that people make there's no excommunication there's no devaluing of who they are as people or their purpose no matter what mistake somebody makes we believe that they have a purpose we all we always say if you have a pulse you have a purpose hmm. uh we believe that everybody was created by god was designed by god and god has a plan and a future for them and we don't know what that is and it can get complicated and messy sometimes and we're not sure about exactly what that looks like for every person but we firmly believe that that is ingrained in every single one of us and we want to help people get there and we want to support them along the way and just because we make mistakes doesn't mean that that goes away just because we've messed up doesn't mean we aren't loved doesn't mean we aren't accepted doesn't mean we aren't cared for doesn't mean we aren't a part of the community or a part of the group it, it just means that you're going to get a little extra support and a little extra love in that time and we're going to keep walking with you thank you for answering that question i really appreciate yeah, no problem. that and that was a great response and i found a lot of this content surprisingly relatable mm -hmm. so that was something like i wasn't sure going into this episode like what i would get out of it so i appreciate just like yeah. your full perspective on a lot of these sure. things and I'm going to turn it over to Roche to coin our phrase for a segment we've been trying to coin a phrase for. So I'll tell you the goal first, yeah. and then we'll talk about what, what I came up with for names. The, the, the goal is to provide a brief summary of what your key takeaways might have been from, or like the way we structured the first couple ones is that in a word or a phrase, describe your it, takeaway. Or It would be like, what's a word or a phrase that you would tell somebody who had a different perspective than you? Huh. Right, and so the two names I came up with were because our podcast is called Fuck Small Talk. Yeah. Big talk, small summary. Right. Or more a different format, kind of like a game format, yeah. called 10-second summaries, where you have 10 seconds to yeah. pick a word or a phrase to summarize. I really like big talk, small summaries, because it's so I, I do like brand. big, small. I do like big talk, All right, big talk, small summaries yeah. it is. All right, so what is a word or phrase? I, again, forget the second half of this, so what is a word or phrase that you would use to describe if you were going to talk to somebody who wasn't a part of your church community, how would you, what's a, a piece of advice in a word or a phrase that you would tell them? And we can approach this from either, like, we're going to do people who aren't in our communities, but with a religious right. lens on top of it. And hmm. I I sort of have mine, so I can so get Can that. I just say one more thing before we go of into course. this? We really care about people. We believe in people. We want to see the best for people. And we want to create a place in a community where you can come, you, where others can come alongside you and challenge you and encourage you to be the best that you can be um, as you dive into faith. That is what we're all about. And I think that I don't know if I was super clear on that in this conversation because of my specific vantage point. I appreciate cool. that perspective. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Um, okay. So I was able to stall a little bit, but big talk. <laughs> Small summary. Yeah. Big talk, small summaries. 
If you don't have yours, Danny said she had hers, so she can go first. All right, Danny, you can go first then. Done. My phrase was going to be perspectives can be relatable. A lot of times, and the basis of why I wanted to start this podcast is storytelling is super powerful. Yeah. And it gives you the perspective of somebody else's story to make it, I find stories are more relatable than reading a textbook or reading them. If I were to just go like, I want to get involved in faith and I just go Bible right away. I might not be able to access sure. that perspective, but if I hear from a person, their personal mm. perspective, it makes yeah. it more relatable. Me next? Okay, mine, again, this thought is in its infancy, so it's going to be... That's mm-hmm. what the point of this segment is. As it goes. It, so my summary is, context matters, and mm. faith is what you make it. Well, and so um, I say that because I, I've, I've seen this kind of uh, spectrum. I, I, I choose the word spectrum specifically because I've seen the spectrum in this continuum of of what faith means in different ways to different people. It meant something very specific to my dad in a time of a pitfall or in a time of when he needed something to mm. cling on to. It meant something very specific for you and helping you through a tough time. It meant something very different for me that I wasn't able to connect. And so faith was really, I didn't make something of it. And mm. so that was that's key too. It's your interpretation. It's how it can enrich your life. Mm. If that's something you want to go pursue, go and pursue it. Mm. If not, that's okay too. But I understand what it means to other people. Huh. Stalled. I think yeah, thank <laughs> no, you guys. <laughs> so I would say that mine would be start with why. Ooh. And I think throughout this conversation I saw the elements of what happens when you don't have a solid why behind something. Totally. I think in each of our journeys with faith growing up and kind of what it meant or hasn't meant to us, the why behind it seems to be almost the deciding factor. Was there a good why behind it or was there what seemed to be a bad why behind it? Mm-hmm. You know, did we not understand the why behind it? Like, what Like, what was the why? What was the reasoning? What was the underlying purpose behind that faith? I think really seemed to matter for all of us in terms of how we interpreted our faith. But, uh, but I think yeah. this is a good opportunity to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast, hearing your perspective and how different it was from ours mm-hmm. and your journey was so, uh, it, it's so empowering and so, sure. so great to hear, so refreshing uh, that new perspective. And it took a lot to come on and really share that with us. So thank you so much. We've come a long way from uh, the Dirty Bee, so it's good oh, to see. Dang, yeah, it's good to see the Brantford boys doing well. I love it. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for having me on. So before we wrap up the episode, we wanted to give a big thank you to our lovely and talented friend Ada for the musical considerations. She's an amazing up-and-coming independent recording artist, specializing in R&B, pop, and funk. She's available for collabs and shows. So if you liked what you heard, simply hit her up on Instagram at Ada So Live. That's at A-I-D-A So Live. If you want to hear more of her stuff, you can find her at soundcloud.com forward slash Ada So Live. That's soundcloud.com forward slash A-I-D-A So Live. She's amazing, so definitely go check her out. A big thank you also goes out to Lonnie for producing the awesome track you heard. He is an R&B and hip-hop producer who's worked with major artists including Drake, Beyonce, and Lil Wayne. He's available to work with at his Toronto studio, so if you're interested, simply check him out on Instagram at HitHouseToronto. That's at HitHouseToronto. This podcast was brought to you by us. And also beer. And also coffee. Because what is sleep even? Also, hi mom. Love you. <laughs>